Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist for the Kansas City Star with the 16th episode of Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears. We have a great, timely, and newsy show this week. Uh, we're going to start off with some college football, then get to your questions and finish with clips from a conversation with Chiefs President Mark Donovan, uh, talking for the first time about the energy that forced the Washington team to change its name and the Chiefs' approach to a test they know is coming. I thought Mark was really good in explaining what the team is doing and just as importantly what the team has done. Uh, but like I said, we're going to start with some college football. Look, Pete Thamel has a powerful piece up right now on Yahoo Sports about the immediate future of that sport. It's basically a series of anonymous quotes from people in the sport talking about what seemed obvious to some of us for a while now, that college football is <laughs> uniquely screwed in a world rocked by the coronavirus. Here's a sampling of the quotes he has in the story from uh, athletic directors, coaches, and other officials. Get ready for this. Uh, right now, I don't see a path in the current environment to how we play. Ultimately, no one is playing football in the fall. I hope I'm wrong, but I think the season being canceled is a foregone conclusion. To me, it's more likely we're in this situation the same time next year than we play college football in the fall. So that's pretty grim, right? You know, Thamel briefly mentions the idea of pushing college football back to the spring. And he's written about that before. Others have too. Um, but for at least now, the resistance is largely in having to rework TV contracts and then the prospect of losing a lot of top players who might sit out to prepare the NFL draft. And <laughs> that's telling too, right? Like if you think about like the hesitation on doing what is increasingly obvious will need to be done is about TV contracts and some top prospects not playing. Like, you know, notab notably absent in these reasons is like any talk about health or safety of the virus. Look, I, I suppose there's a case here to be made that you don't make a decision until you have to make a decision. But to me, this is like the clearest example that I can think of in my lifetime where college sports are just suffering because of a lack of central authority and organization. Uh, I'm all for individual rights. Um, you know, various in entities being able to make decisions based on their specific circumstances. That's great in most ways, in most times. But I think in situations like this, nothing's going to work if it's not done together. Like if Kansas gets, you know, the coronavirus response right, it doesn't matter that much if Texas doesn't and Iowa State doesn't and Baylor doesn't and K-State doesn't. Vice versa, right? Like they're all in this together. And, you know, college football is just, they're, they're plainly ill-equipped to play through this. The sports structure, they just lack the ability, or if we're honest, like the discipline to effectively quarantine. Uh, campuses and locker rooms are great places for this thing to spread. And it's not going to take that many outbreaks to force a shutdown. You know, if the sport is operating right now on hope, and, and that's what it seems to be doing, uh, that's a pretty crappy strategy, right? You know, that sport, they could just create some level of public trust, I think, by acting before individual programs have to shut down and before a college kid not being paid a salary is hospitalized. I get it. Some of you might be yelling at me right now, um, like these are young men, most of them are in great shape, the age group has fared well in terms of mortality rates, but you know, there are kids on rosters who are at risk, either because of health conditions or weight. They have coaches and staff who are at risk. You know, and mostly like as a country, we need to be diminishing these cases and not increasing them. You know, like Major League Soccer 
already sent home two teams, right, from its opening tournament. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, um, they are taking drastic steps to manage the risk. And, you know, most notably, these are steps that college football has not announced, um, at least as a group. So, you know, the NFL is working on protocols. Uh, and the professional teams, they're going to face some of the same challenges as college programs, right? Like football is obviously a contact sport and the operation of just, you know, sort of the machine, not just the games, but I'm talking about meetings, weight rooms, practices, meals, training, all of that. It requires the opposite of distancing. But, you know, at least in the NFL, they have the resources to create enhanced protections. Um, their athletes are adults, not college kids. And, you know, it's unrealistic, I think, to expect perfect adherence to protocol. Uh, the bet's a lot better with, you know, some 26-year-old who has a family to provide for and millions on the line. It's, it's a lot better bet that that guy's going to follow than it is, you know, some college sophomore used to go in wherever the party is. You know, by the way, like, if I can move slightly off topic here, um, you know, every once in a while, the last few months, I've been asking people who work in and closely with the NFL about their, you know, their, just basically like their confidence that a full season will happen. You know, the most common answer I've he heard is, you know, I know we'll start, but I can't be sure if we'll finish. But this week, I put the question to, uh, I'm just going to call him a high-ranking league official uh, about his confidence, full season, one to 10 scale. And he said eight. I took that as tremendously encouraging. But anyway, getting back to the topic here, that man's league has money and resources and discipline that just don't exist on college campuses. Um, you know, we can resist the idea about pushing back to spring, but what good are those TV contracts this fall when there's no games? Like, what does it matter if a few top prospects might skip a spring season if nobody would be able to play this fall? You know, I, I hope some smart people are working behind the scenes to prepare for a spring season just as a contingency, if nothing else. But, you know, the, the pace of the return, the lack of smoke around pushing to the spring, it sure doesn't seem like it. It feels like the sport is intent on basically failing in the fall first and then seeing if the spring is still an option. I, I guess I just, at this point, hope they don't screw it up too badly in the process. All right, guys, uh, please participate in next week's show by calling 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. One more time, 816-234-4365. Program it in your phone. Call anytime something is on your mind. 816-234-4365. Okay, a uh, quick break, and then we will get to questions about the Chiefs name and branding and a curiosity about the future of the Chiefs coaching staff. After that, Chiefs President Mark Donovan explains how the Chiefs are approaching the issue around Native American imagery that's going to be shifting from Washington, you know, the, the TBDs uh, to Kansas City. Okay, quick break. Mellinger, uh, I read, read your column, I guess that was uh, today, and I'm wondering if you would agree that these nicknames teams adopt are generally to signify this fighting spirit of the team, like the Lions or something like that, and not meant for denigration of anything. If you don't agree with that, do you think that the Minnesota Vikings and the Boston Celtics should be required change their name. Thank you. I have tried to be as clear as possible on the potential of this name change. Um, I've done this in print, uh, in the digital minutes, on the radio, podcasts, and I'll do it again right now. The Chiefs are not changing their name. 
that is not what this is about. What this is about is how the Chiefs brand themselves. It's about how they promote themselves. It's about how they produce pregame and game day experience. You know, I have no doubt that the people in charge did not feel like they were denigrating Native Americans when they named the team the Chiefs. And yes, for the three millionth time, we all know the team was named after then Mayor Atrio Bartle. But if you look at how the team presented itself, particularly with that just cartoonish logo of a Native American wearing nothing but a headdress and a KC loincloth and carrying a tomahawk in his right hand, I think we can see what the issue was. That logo did not look much like an old white politician. So anyway, moving on. The, the problem with the slippery slope argument, and there are versions of it that use the Dallas Cowboys or the Texas A&M Aggies or the San Diego Padres, whoever. The problem in using this as a coherent or effective argument is that none of these groups of people were murdered, forced off their land, just treated outrageously bad, called merciless savages in the Declaration of Independence. None of those other groups are suffering today like Native Americans are as a whole. And none of those other groups have seen the worst stereotypes of their race used to sell t-shirts. I mean, it's, it's like comparing apples to like roadmaps or something. It just, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I wish more people could just take a deep breath and not get so defensive. You know, I wish more people would, you know, if you think about it, handle this the way the chiefs are. This is not about like cancel culture or, you know, Native Americans trying to ruin your fun as some frivolous hobby. Like, I, I wish we could just listen to them, listen honestly, and, you know, not just dismiss what we hear because it's not what we want. Um, you know, one more time, it's, it's not about the name. <laughs> the Chiefs will be the Chiefs at the end of Patrick Mahomes' contract and beyond. I really do believe that. But here, I hope you'll pardon me for repeating a point I made at the end of the column I wrote off the Donovan conversation this week. The team has to get this question right. In five years or 10 or 20, will a critical mass of people view the CHOP or even the name Chiefs the way we now view it, that silly logo from the 1960s? I feel pretty confident that the team name will be fine and the logo, the name of the stadium, but there are some cartoonish parts of the CHOP, you know, and that's where this debate is going to center and that's where it's going to be the most heated. Okay, here's a, another question about the Chiefs, but this time about <laughs> actual football. Hey, Sam. This is Michael Kraft calling from Bloomington, Indiana. Um, I know Andy Reid has always had a pretty good history of putting a plan in place for offensive coordinators just because there's been so much turnover at that position. And we kind of know now that the enemy, if he moves on uh, within the next year or two, we're assuming Kafka is going to take his place. But something I don't think he's had to consider in a long time is the defensive coordinator position just because Sutton was there for so long. And before him, you know, Jim Johnson with the Eagles was also there for a long time. So I'm wondering what your thoughts on are on um, assuming Spagnola continues to do such a good job. You know, maybe in a couple of years he's the target of some head coaching inquiries. If you think Andy's thought about that, if maybe you've heard anything from inside the organization, or if you just have opinions of, you know, if that's going to be an internal promote, if, if he's looking elsewhere, um, if he's going to try and do the same thing that he does offensively where, you know, he has a position coach in mind that's just going to step in and continue the role, um, something that I just haven't heard a lot about. So, yeah, thank you. If Spags retired today, uh, I'm not sure the long-term defensive coordinator is on the staff, actually. And, um, you know, that's not a statement about the lack of quality here. You know, I think, you know, Brendan Daly – Matt House, Dave Merritt, Sam Madison, there are a lot of great reputations on that staff. Um, and any of those guys might be a DC at some point. But, uh, you know, there aren't many people better connected in the NFL coaching community than Andy Reid. 
And I just have to believe there are assistants in other places that he has relationships with that he'd be interested in talking to. Um, you know, his move with the Chiefs has been to fill that job with experience, right? Like Bob Sutton, when he came here, he had been a college head coach, then an NFL coach for 13 years. He was an assistant head coach when, when Reed hired him as defensive coordinator. Spags was a defensive coordinator twice, right? And a head coach once, plus, you know, another short run as an interim coach when he came to Kansas City. If that's the profile that Reed would want, and it makes sense because he's obviously more involved on offense than defense, um, it would seem unlikely for an internal promotion. You know, all that being said, are we sure that Spags is going to be a head coach again? I know he'd like another shot, and obviously he knows the game, but, you know, he, he's obviously six, he's also 60 years old. Uh, he's a defensive coach in an offensive league. And when he was a head coach in St. Louis, his teams went one and fifteen, seven and nine, and two and fourteen. I know it's about more than just one person, one head coach, but look, I mean this with all respect because again, he's a damn good defensive coach, and we saw how much the Chiefs' defense improved last year. But if the team you rooted for hired him as head coach, like, would you be excited? You know, what seems likeliest to me is that, you know, Spags is here as long as Reed is. And when Reed is gone, then one of his current or former assistants takes over. And at that point, the DC is going to be somebody with a relationship with the new guy, which, you know, if I'm right about this, uh, will be at least a few years. Because I'm guessing, you know, Andy Reed is taking multivitamins, eating nothing but spinach, getting into yoga or something, because so he, just so he can coach, you know, Patrick Mahomes forever. So, okay, uh, one more quick break, and then we will be back with clips from what I thought was a really, at least for me, informative and enlightening, cool conversation with Chiefs President Mark Donovan. Okay. All right, we're back. Uh, this is going to be perhaps the most informative bonus segment in the venerable history of this podcast. Uh, Mark Donovan, Chiefs President, gave me nearly an hour of his time this week to talk about the issues involving the team and imagery around Native American culture. Obviously, I hope you read the column, but I wanted to give Mark's words like a little bit more room to breathe um, with this medium as well. And look, like this isn't the first time that Mark and I have talked about these issues. I wrote a column six or seven years ago when the working group Mark mentions in here first formed. Uh, the Chiefs, and Mark says this himself, they're in a tough spot with this. It would be a lot easier, you know, like if they were the Kansas City Tigers or the Stars or the Wildcats or whatever, they would not be having these conversations. But uh, I found Mark to be consistently thoughtful about this. I think the way that the Chiefs have handled these complaints is just so plainly different than what Dan Snyder's team in Washington did. We can say some of the changes are happening later than they should, but I also believe they're being thoughtful and respectful with the process. You know, the Chiefs are a business after all, and to me at least, this is what we should expect from them. So anyway, here's Mark describing what the team is doing right now. The decisions that have been made have been to continue doing what we've been doing for the last seven years. And that's educating ourselves, communicating with uh, people in the field and experts in the field, as well as members of tribes in this region, um, to understand sort of what we do and how we do it and understand what's important to them, what they find offensive, and then making changes where it's necessary. So I think, you know, the Washington situation started a long time ago, and we've been in discussions with our working group for at least that long. Um, mm -hmm. So 
that's where we are. That process includes a lot of conversation, uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of listening. Uh, the Chiefs have had the most discussion with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I think that makes sense. The Chiefs are closer to the Braves on this than they are the Indians or certainly the team that used to be the Redskins. Uh, but it's also true the Chiefs are now the only team in the biggest league in American sports with Native American branding and imagery. That matters. You know, if you're going 90 on the highway, but somebody else is going 110, well, they're the one the cops are going to chase. But I, I just, now that car is gone, right? Like they're pulled over. So anyway, I, I wanted to get a sense from Mark about how he feels, you know, sort of the energy or the context uh, with his team is now different with Washington changing its name. I want to be careful this doesn't get taken out of context. Um, because the first question you asked, I think, is an important one, which is, what are we doing? And what we're doing is actively communicating. And, mm-hmm. and we've been actively communicating for a long time. Mm-hmm. So to answer that question, it, it doesn't really change how we're doing it. Um, it, um, you know, it's, it's a priority issue. It's been a priority issue for some time. We're very proud of the work we've done. We're very proud of the things we've done um, and the changes we've made. And we'll continue to look at those things. We'll continue to have the discussions. And um, you know, we are in active discussions about um, everything that we're doing <clears throat> and ways that we continue to evolve. The working group that Mark is describing, it's its basically a committee of Native Americans in the region, uh, people who obviously live these issues more personally than Mark or Clark Hunt do. Uh, it started when a man named John Learned, he's a, a Cheyenne Arapaho and a Chiefs fan, reached out to offer his assistance. You know, John then filled out the committee and they've met with Donovan and the Chiefs regularly ever since. Um, so that's the working group. Now, here's another clip from Mark. And, you know, this one's long, but I want to include it all because it's really the heart of this whole thing. It's the heart of how the Chiefs have approached this and it's the heart of why they believe. And, you know, for whatever it matters, I agree that they're able to be in such a stronger position on this than Washington ever was. It could be helpful to look at it this way. The the education started with meeting and just laid we just laid out, okay, here's what we think you all as a group or as individuals may find offensive. Tell us if we're right, if we're wrong, if there's a priority list, like what what should we be aware of? And so that education was really powerful for me individually, like personally, as well as the members of our team who were in that meeting um, because we got a real good understanding of you know, what a war bonnet is, what it represents. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that going into mm-hmm. it, but that education and the passion and, and sort of the, how sacred these things are to their culture, like we, we understand and respect that. And then, then it was, okay, how do we, do something that can be positive here, that can, number one, from our perspective, expand this education, um, but also, number two, hopefully change behavior. So the best two examples that I can think of are with the war bonnets and the, the face paint. Um, when, when, you, when you sit down and you talk about, okay, what should we do? Um, it, it sort of quickly you get to the point of okay what what can we do legally mm-hmm. right with individuals' rights and um, you know a stadium environment and 
uh, entry, exit, all that. And what can we do with you know a fan's right to be in a seat? They own a ticket. You know, there, there are a lot of different things that come into play with that. And what makes this working group really powerful or effective for us is they got it. They're like, okay, let's talk about that. So we came up with a way to create and promote education of what this represents to the Indian culture. And, you know, I, I always look at that one as an example of we sat in a meeting and the people in the meeting were impacted. How do we create that impact at Arrowhead during a game? So I don't know if we it's the most effective way of doing it, but we had a, a booth set up in our um, Founders Plaza that, you know, had headdresses and had Native Americans there to talk about what it is. And so they could literally say, here's what that means. And our goal was if we could get our fans to understand it personally, then most individuals would make the decision to paint their face like a cartoon character or a superhero and wear a fuzzy headdress, the fuzzy hairdo or a hat or, you know, still dress up and still be a fanatic, but just don't be disrespectful when you do it. The second example Donovan gave was with the war drum. Uh, he and the chiefs did not know the place the drum had in Native American culture. The drum wasn't all that high on the list of things they thought that that community might find offensive. But they listened, they learned, they evolved, and uh, here's Mark. What we learned was the drum is extremely sacred um, and is very important to their to the ceremonies. And um, so we said, okay, <clears throat> how is there a way that we can incorporate that into this and keep the drum. And, and the solution that they, they came up with was what we do every year, which is we actually have a chief come, bless the four directions of the field and the stadium, and bless the drum. And you would think from a, from a chief's perspective, you know, it's a, it's a solution that makes sense to let's go. What was really impactful for me was it was it was really important and valuable to the working group to do that like it, it gave them a platform that they wouldn't have to educate our fans as to how sacred it is and what it means and it created this compromise that does both right it educates and it also celebrates and it's part of a really important part of our game day experience um, and it's been really powerful since we've done it. One fair criticism you can put on the Chiefs is that their working group includes no Native Americans who want the name changed. Mark accepts that criticism, understanding that some number of Native Americans want all imagery out of the way sports teams brand themselves. So by not having that perspective, they are by definition not hearing a full perspective of the community they're trying to respect and honor. But I also thought Mark made a fair point here. That's a fair criticism of anyone, anyone right? You can if you have a working group, if you have a small group, you can get whatever opinion. It's just like a survey. If you want sure. like any data, you can make data, data look any way you want it to. So um, what we try to do is take an objective view. And, you know, uh, the national piece and the meetings that we have had, um, they've also said that the name is not something um, that needs to change. And they've, they've appreciated the fact that it does um, you know, in certain people's opinion, 
including nationally Native American organizations, um, they don't feel like the name is something that is uh, disrespectful. The issues, basically, they're going to come down to headdresses, war paint the horse, and the tomahawk chop. That's what the chiefs are talking the most about. And there just isn't a lot of energy for many people to protect war bonnets or war paint. Uh, the debate then, it's going to center on the chop. And that's where it's going to get heated because a lot of people find it offensive and a lot of people love it. Uh, it's worth remembering the chiefs tried to get rid of the chop once. It was around 1993. Here's Mark. The story I remember, and I think I've actually seen the letter, um, is that they sent a letter saying that we're going to, eliminate the chop and either the next day or that week they ended it. Yeah. Now I think the argument can be made different times, different issues, right? But that's not, that wasn't 1963. It's an interesting spot. Uh, this is certainly not a new issue in sports and it's not a new issue to the Chiefs. Like I said, I first talked extensively about all this with Mark seven years ago. But really, if you want to boil it all down to one little question, it is how confident are you that you're not going to be the next Redskins, right? Um, okay, well, <laughs> I asked Mark that. Here's his answer. I just go back to the point that I made earlier that the, the Washington issue is, is just a different fundamental issue, in my opinion, uh -huh. because of the defunct term. Sure. And I think that's a, that's a fundamental difference. Um, that doesn't, that's not meant to be disrespectful of, um, the Native American portion of their community who's, who believes differently, right? Um, that it doesn't matter if it's defined or not to them, they'd like to see the name change. Well, we've got to respect, respect the fact that, you know, for a very large portion of our fan base, um, it's really important to them that we keep the name. So yeah. trying to balance and trying to find that, you know, common sense and respect. So the goal is to have these new policies or changes in place by the first preseason game. Uh, whatever it's worth, my guess is that headdresses are gone. So is war paint, but that the chop remains. Um, <laughs> then again, right, uh, the league is working on a lot of other issues, too. And these are issues with bigger immediate impacts than chance and what fans can wear. Uh, you know, the league is first trying to make sure that fans can come to games at all, right? Uh, regardless of what they're allowed to wear or do once they're in their seat. And here's hoping they get there. Okay, guys, that's our show this week. Again, thank you so much for your time. I uh, hope we're worth it. There's a lot of information in this episode, and I hope you feel like this is advancing the conversation a little bit. Uh, big thanks to Randy Mason and Savannah Smith for putting this together, and to Mark Donovan for sharing his time and thoughts. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be nice. Let's talk again next week.